So tonight's shir, tonight's parsha shir, parsha lechacha, is dedicated uh, by Justin and Tali Pines, the Pines family, in me- memory of Moshe Michal ben Elazar Pinchas. He was the sole Holocaust survivor of a family of nine from Krakow, who was saved by Oscar Schindler when he was placed on Schindler's list. And he passed away a few years ago, and every year on his yurtzeit, um, we've been giving a shir in his memory uh, because of... Uh, former Israelite student to his Mazaki you and that's why you have a good children tonight among other things so we thank him um, there is an interesting factor that goes into certain moments in your life and I'll give you an example because this is a story I told you once so I won't repeat the whole story but you may remember that I once uh, we were in Lebanon I wasn't off that long and we were ambushed and uh, there's a moment of panic when you finally have a second. You know, when you're first shot at, when, 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 when everything goes haywire, you don't have time to think. And they've been training you for this stuff again and again and again and again. You could find a soldier who's a Kravi soldier. You could yell, Pazatsta. He would hit the ground, do it exactly right, roll over, and, and look for his gun. Because they train you to do this so many times. And you're giving all these kudot, and you're setting up your cover fire position, doing everything, and it's just exactly where it's supposed to be, and you're just kind of like watching yourself from the side, and sort of saying, this actually works, this is pretty incredible. And then you get to this moment. And you remember I spoke to you about this early in the year, it, it, was, it was pretty terrifying. Um, because what enters your mind is, what if you're wrong? What if... What if you should wait? I mean, you're basically taking 11 other guys. Five of them are in a cover fire position. Five of them, six of them are with you. And you're going to give them an order to, to charge up a hill. And there's three terrorists up there. And you don't even know how many of them are up there. And they're shooting. And they have grenades. And they had an RPG. What if you're wrong? What if you should wait? What if you should wait for them to call in the helicopter? What if you should wait for the battalion commander to come? He has a lot more experience than you do. What if you just wait till they run out of ammunition? But they've told you, and they trained you, that you have to do what's called chatirala maga. You have to want to initiate contact as quickly as you can, because the quicker you do it, the more likely of success. The longer it takes, the more time they have to group themselves, think, whatever, and that's when things get messy. Uh, when I was in the Kitat Koronut for many years in Efrat, um, they changed the the toll, the um, the thinking on how to deal with such situations. Um, when we first started this, this is like you know when I was straight out of the army. So you know you would, you would have a, a a regular squad. You had places where you would meet, and then you would go in threes, and then you would meet up, and then you would find out where you were needed, and you would right, and that was how it worked. And if there was a terrorist incident, God forbid, which thank God we never had in Efrat in this way then, you know, it might take you 15 or 20 minutes till you got there. But when you got there, you were organized, you had your gear, you surrounded the house. They changed the toll on this. Because they studied this and they discovered that any terrorist incident where terrorists enter a place, a yeshiv, whatever it might be, the successful stories all happen within two or three minutes. If you hit three minutes from the time a terrorist cuts his way through a fence on a yeshiv, and you haven't, you haven't, Start, you're not in a firefight, then you've lost before you start. 
So they changed the tone, which is the way of thinking. And what they decided was, if you get an alert that there's a terrorist incident, you just, you don't wait for anybody. You just run. And if you're the first one there, you go into the house on your own. I remember when they gave us this, guys were struggling with this, and a brigade commander came and he told us the background and the statistics. And I bet that's terrifying. Right? But that's what you do. That's what they tell you to do. And it makes sense now sitting here in a cold room. And I'm lying there on the dirt, about to give this order, and I'm thinking maybe I'm wrong. What allows you to get up that hill? One quality allows you to get up that hill. What? What allows you to get up that hill? You have to define the character trait, pardon? Well, Ratsan gets you it everywhere, but Ratsan could make you wait. You could have a Ratsan to wait, and you could be doing the right thing. We are in the middle of a war. It's called Chavot Barzel, Iron Swords. And they attacked us in a brutal fashion on October 6th. It's 20 days, it's almost three weeks. And they still haven't really, I mean, there are units now going into Aza, commando units doing certain missions, but Bigadol, they haven't gotten in yet. And I'm okay with that. They're taking their time, they're waiting, they're thinking about it. So maybe the Red Sun is to wait, maybe that's a good Red Sun. What allows you to just give that order? To someone to throw a grenade and to say Kadima is there and five, six guys stand up and just walk up a hill with three terrorists up there. What allows you to do that? One quality. Faith. Faith. No? That's true. That's true, but that's not what I'm thinking of. Sure. No? Thank God. I hadn't found that out yet. I wasn't angry. I was terrified. No, Gavura sounds good like courage, but no, simpler. It took me a while to come to this you, thing. You trust your Trust. You trust that the Israeli army has thought this through. You trust that the commands have been thought about. You trust in the commands that you've been given, in the exercises, in the maneuvers, in the training. You trust. Right? So I want to share with you an interesting idea. This idea goes to the core of who we are. There are a lot of different aspects of the war, and make no mistake about it, we are at war. And when I say we, I don't mean just Israel. I mean, and I don't even mean just the Jewish people. Western civilization and the Jewish people are at war. We're at war with evil. We're at war with terror. And anybody who doesn't understand this is a bigger war than just the Israeli army is missing the boat. And this war is not going to end in the next month or two. Not by a long shot. This war has been going on for a while. It just became clearer to a whole portion of the population that didn't understand that this is a serious war. And you only have two choices in war. You win or you lose. There is no other middle ground. No war has ever been won in modern times before somebody lost. They don't think they've lost. They haven't. And until they do, this war is going to continue. And make no mistake about it. When you go back to NYU, University of Maryland, University of Virginia, Harvard, Yale, Princeton, you are at war. It's a different kind of war. Hopefully, nobody. guys, it's a different kind of war. Hopefully, nobody's firing bullets at you. When you walk out to the quad, and there's 100 people dressed in, in, in red, green, and black flags, screaming at you, maybe holding jugs full of pig's blood, throwing them at you. There are campus students I've been speaking to the last few weeks who are afraid. And that's what war does to you. They're afraid. Right? 
it seems sometimes that the whole world is nuts. <coughs> nuts. It's crazy. What they did, they took, I mean, I'm not even going to repeat it. Babies, women, children, the elderly, Holocaust survivors, the things they did to them. And people can stand up, and not like two weeks later when they start, the next day, and honor the, 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 the martyrs of Chal. It's unbelievable. And you feel like it's us against the world. It feels that way sometimes. The Secretary General of the UN holds Israel responsible because we're occupying Aza. We haven't occupied Aza since 2004. I don't think we ever occupied Aza. I think they've been occupying Aza, but whatever. We can have that discussion another time. And you just say it's us against the world. Where does that come from? So I want to share with you an idea. This is a very deep idea and it goes to the core of who we are. Right? There is a story in this week's parasha. Parasha of Lech Lecha. Everybody talks about Avram. Everybody talks about Lech Lecha. You know, go to the land that I will show you. Go find yourself. Become yourself. There's a little piece in here that people tend to miss. And Rav Nevensal has a magnificent sicha. Uh, which I learned with someone this week. And I, not that he needs my approbation, but I thought this is really worthy of a discussion. So, there are four kings, okay? And these four kings go to war. Who was Amraphel? Anybody know? Who said that? Yep, Amraphel was Nimrod. The the Mendes Rabbah says... um, as follows. By the way, the word Vayehi in the Torah, and it came to be, is always a word that portends something bad is going to happen. Every family, there are ten famines listed in Tanakh. Every single one of them starts with the word Vayehi. Vayehi Rav Anytime you see the word Vayehi, something bad. Vayehi Something bad is coming. It's not the word you want to hear. Vayehi in the days of Amraphel, Gimel Shemot Nikrulo. There were three names this person had. Kush v'Nimrod v'Amrafel. Okay? Why is he called Nimrod? Shehe'emid meret ba'olam. He created rebellion in the world. He rebelled against who? Hashem. Hashem. What famous story in the Medrash was he part of? No, Pardon? Abram at the fire. Right. He's the one who threw Avram into the furnace. That whole story... Hanan, Yemishal, and Zarya, similar. He threw them into the. He threw Avram into the furnace. So he is Avram's mortal enemy, I guess. And he goes to war, and he takes three kings with him. Amraphel was the king of Shinar, which will eventually become um, uh, uh, Assyria. Arioch, who was the Melech of Elasar, uh, which is Babylon, and Kedar Laomer, Melech Elam, Vitidal Melech Goyim. These four kings. And they go to battle against five kings. What would we call this today? A world war. This is the first world war described in the Torah. And there's only one event that interests us in this war. Right? They're doing battle. Asumil Chama. They're fighting Sdom. They're fighting the king of Tsar. Sidon gets involved. Sidon is in Lebanon. This is a big war. Right? Shtem Shanav do it Omer. Kedal Omer was the king of the world and they were his slaves and they finally rebelled against him. Okay? And this was a 13-year war. 
and they win this war. And it describes some of the geography. Okay. And then the Pasuk says, and a refugee. Now, Pshat in the Pasuk is it's a refugee from the war. Rashi, for some reason, says this is the ultimate refugee. He's the only refugee who survived the destruction of the world other than Noah, who was in the ark. How did he survive? He hung onto the ark. What was his name? Anybody remember? Oh, he was a giant. Now, whether that's literal or allegorical, what's going on? We're not going to get into that. And he comes to Avram, the Ivri, the Hebrew, and he tells him about Lot, and we know the rest of the story. Avram does what? He gathers, he gathers 300 men, and they go to war. They go to war. And the Midrashim, and the Gemara, and their places in Nach. This is unbelievable. This is like you hear that Russia... And, and Germany get together and they're attacking America and they beat America. And so you get like 50 guys and you go attack. That's like crazy. This is a world war. He's got 300 guys. By the way, what story does that remind you of? He takes 300 men against a vastly superior number. Not Hanukkah? No, 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 no. Raise your hand, yeah? But no, never, yeah? Come on, in the Tanakh. Should I give you a hint? Gidon. Gidon has this big army. Hashem doesn't like it. He whittles him down. He has 300 men. That's not an accident. Shh. Not an accident. This is what you need. And he goes to war. So there's an interesting detail that people don't pay attention to. This is where we first find the word Ivri. Avram is called the Ivri. If you were a Russian Jew from 1917, or at least 1920, until the fall of the Iron Curtain, in your identity paper was put the word Ivrei. You were a Hebrew. That's where that comes from. What is that word? Why are we that word? Why is Avram called an Ivri? And why is he called an Ivri here? Why Dafka now? Is this important in the story of the battle of the five kings? So the Medrash gives us three opinions as to why we have the word Ivri. Does anybody remember what they are? Don't call it out. Raise your hand. Yeah. I think one of them is that he was on the other Ah, one understanding is May Aver Lanahar. He's across the river. Well, now that's interesting. He comes from across the river, presumably gets across the Euphrates, comes through southern Iraq, and arrives in Eretz Canaan. He is the Ivri. Okay? First of all, why is that important? Why do I need to know his geography? And second of all, why is that important here? Why is this mentioned now when he's going to war? Give me a second possibility, yeah? Well, um, Loud. The, the no, no, no. I'm asking you for a second possibility for the word Ivri. What else, yeah? Very good. He was descended from a fellow named Aver. Aver was an important person. There's a famous yeshiva that was started with the yeshiva of shame, Aver. That's where Avram learned. He was a Talmud of Aver. Right? So because he was a student of Aver, 
and Aver was the great grandson of Shem, and Avram comes from there, so he's called an Ivri. That's an interesting problem. It's an interesting problem on two levels. First of all, it's an interesting problem because if you're already going to ascribe yourself to someone, call yourself an Adami. You come from Adam Arishan. Shem is clearly the greater of Shem Ve'ever. He's the son of Noah. Why don't you call yourself a Shemite? Which is, by the way, where that famous anti-Shemite comes from, right? Okay. Right? By the way, another interesting question. There is a Gemara in, um, in Tanis and Dab Zion. It's late, so I won't look it up for you. Um, we have a klal. Katan nitle begadol. You always ascribe the smaller to the larger. And I'll give you an example. If you look when Avram, at the end of Parsha Noah, comes to Eretz Canaan, the following Pasuk, listen to this Pasuk. It says, Eshet Avram Sarai, the, the sister, the, the wife of Avram is Sarai, right? Sorry? V'shem Eshet Nachor Milka Bat Aran. So Sarai is the wife of Avram, and the wife of Nachor, who is Avram's brother, who dies, was Milka, the daughter of Haran. How come it doesn't say that Sarai was the daughter of Haran? Why isn't her father mentioned? Because Sarai was much greater than Haran. Milka was not, so Milka's called daughter of Haran. You wouldn't say, if you ask me who Rav Luchensin's father's name, who was Rav Luchensin's father, people don't know. I remember his father. He was a tzaddik of a person, but he wasn't Rav Luchensin. Nobody thinks about his father, right? Who's the Rambam? Rav Avram ben Maimon. But he's the Rambam. Rav Avram. And that's how we do to think about things. So why is Avram called the Ivri? Why are we ascribing Avram to something else? So because of that, that may be why the Medrash, right, gives me a third possibility, right? He is from across the river, we said. He's descended from Aver. I think those things are connected. But there's a third one. The third one is the one that seems to be the one that carries the day. Kol, this is Rabbi Yehuda. Kol ha'olam kulo me'ever echad, v'hu me'ever echad. Because he's not just from across the river, he's across the world. The whole world is on one side, and he's on the other side. Am levadad yishkon, says Bilam, in a curse that may be a blessing. We are the nation that dwells alone. The whole world is on the other side. Avram lives in a world of pagan morass of idolatry, and he is the only one. They must have thought he was whacked. There's, a, there's old Abe. There's a God rolling around that we can't see. Doesn't carry it in his pocket, idiot, right? That was Avram. He was different from everybody else. Now, that's interesting. Okay. And you could make a case for saying that he crosses over from the other side and that those two are related. And you could even make a case for saying that Aver, who helps to start the yeshiva of Shem Aver, is also a monotheist, and that's why he's called Aver. You can say that too. And his father, his great grandfather, Shem, Hashem, whatever, related. But why is that important here? And, and what does that even mean? Right? Avram goes to war against an empire. Why is it important to know that he is an Ivri? And why are we, to this day, called Ivrim? Because he crosses the river. And just, just to show you how important this is, if you look in Sefer Yoshua, this is fascinating. Yoshua, in Perich of Dalet, 
gathers the tribes after they've completed the conquest, such as they did, and the Nachala, they've given out the land, and he gives them this inspirational speech. You know, when the dust is settled. Like, what are we doing here? And he says, Your ancestors came from across the river. Terach, Avi Avram, Avi and they worship by Abdul Lukim Acherim. Vaikachet Avichem et Avram meEver Anahar, Valechot Obechol Eretz Kanan. And I took Abram, your father, from across the river. Yeshua makes a point twice of saying he's come from across the river. Now, why is that important? That, that obviously is very important because we're called Ivrim. What's the language that we speak? Ivrit. We speak the language of otherness, of the other side. Why is that important? The whole world's on the other side. At its face value, Avram is not afraid, he's not afraid to go against the world. He's not afraid to go against the world. Right? That's what we're doing to a certain degree. We're, we're, we're fighting a battle here that's against a large portion of the world. When we built this state, people thought we were nuts. The story of how America, in the end, recognized Israel is the stuff of legends. And it's so clear Kresh Barucho was involved and that was crazy. <clears throat> the Secretary of State threatened to resign if, if uh, Truman recognized Israel. He was the first one to recognize Israel. Because he thought we'd lose Arab oil, we'd lose the Arab economy, whatever it might be. Right? So Avram goes to war against an empire. That's important. And maybe historically it's important. Why? So because of that, we're called Ivrim. So there must be, suggestion of Nevinsal, a spiritual message. This isn't about a physical battle. This isn't a ge- geographic notation. There's something much deeper going on here. Avram's faith, his beliefs, his ideology stands alone. We are meant to be a model that is almost the antithesis of what much of the world believed back then. By the way, interesting. Are we getting somewhere? With all the problems and all the anti-Semitism and what's happened in these weeks during Chavor Bazel, half the world's population, right? If, if you take the Muslims, there's you know, 1.2 billion of them, and you take the, um, the Christians, 1.3 billion of them, pretty much half the world's population that is monotheistic, with all the challenges of Avrazar and Catholicism, whatever, that believes in the same God we do, more or less. Because of one guy who came across a river. What is this spiritual message? And let's take stage further. Because it's not just about beliefs and principles. The Gemara in Sanhedrin, fascinating Gemara. The Gemara in Sanhedrin says that when Avram went to war, okay, um, there's a dialogue here. And one of the Rabbanim asks another, right? Right? When the kings of the East and the West came, in other words, this battle of the kings, right? How did Avram fight this battle? I mean, there were... Thousands and thousands of soldiers, and he's 300 guys. How did he fight the battle? Anybody know? There was a nace. Anybody know? 
Nope. That's Gidon. Yep. Ah, oh, well, not sand, but close. Havi Shadinan Afra. He would throw dirt. And the dirt would call, would, would turn into swords, like iron swords. Okay? Gile, he would throw rocks. Vahavigire, right? The stones, right, um, would turn into weapons. He, there was some magic that he did. Now, what does this mean? Uh, uh, because, uh, I mean, <coughs> the Vilna Gaon didn't believe that Agatha were meant to be taken literally. It could be that this happened out of the Zavra Avinu. Certainly could be. But I'm not sure that's the message we're meant to learn, right? At the very uh, least, Avram is fighting a war of the supernatural. He is not limited to nature. One of the unique things about the Jewish people is that we don't fit in the natural order of things. Famous article from Mark Twain, Twain in Harper's Magazine. He came to visit the state of Israel, I believe, in the 1860s, but it was published in 1895. And he asked, and you can look this stuff up online. He says, like, what are they still doing here? All things are mortal but the Jew. Many civilizations have come and gone before them, and they are but stardust in the Milky Way. But the Jews are still here. What is the secret of their immortality? That's what he writes. Right? The Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Persians, the Greeks, the Romans, right? the Byzantines, the, 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 the Mamelukes and the Ottomans, the Crusaders. I mean, the who's who of world history tried to destroy the Jewish people and we're still here. It's crazy. There's something unnatural about that. And we need to understand that. So not only is Avram across the river of theology, and not only is the cross the river geographically, but he's the cross the river of nature. There's something that just doesn't make sense. And I'll give you an example. In 1990, I will never forget this. 19, January 1990. Um, without going into all the background, you can look this up on Wikipedia. Um, George Bush Sr., H.W., was the president. And they were thinking that there were weapons of mass destruction in Iraq. At the time, there was a dictator by the name of Saddam Hussein. And they were at odds with each other. He was like the, the evil that you, you know, he was the one you posted as the source of all evil. And um, he gave them a deadline to allow U.S. inspectors in. They poo-pooed the deadline. George Bush put together a coalition. And they landed in Saudi Arabia. They were in Saudi Arabia for weeks, maybe months, I don't remember. It was a long time. I was born in Zambi. And one day they invaded. They invaded Iraq. Right? They, they took back Kuwait. Okay? Because Saddam Hussein had taken Kuwait, which was really about oil. And they took back Kuwait and they invaded Iraq. So what do you do if you're an Arab dictator and the Americans, the French, the British, there were Arab countries that were part of this coalition have all decided to attack you, what do you do? You try to kill Jews. What else would you do? It's unbelievable. Right? Here's Israel. Here's Iraq. Here's Saudi Arabia. All these countries are in Iraq. And he's shooting missiles, Scud missiles at Israel. 39 Scud missiles. This is a 1,500 kilometer range. Like anybody thinks it's like, it could never happen. It happened. 39 missiles 
targeted and fell in the most dense populated region of Israel, Gushdan, in Tel Aviv, in Rishon Lezion, in Batyam. 39 Scud missiles. I remember, you know, so it's like uh, 2 o'clock in the morning. I was up, I was studying for my smicha test, and I get a call from my father. We didn't have cell phones back then. There was, a, there was an actual phone that sat on your desk attached to a wire and a wall. I know, it sounds like an old movie. And the phone rings, it's 2 o'clock in the morning. So I pick up the phone, it's my dad. He's like, are you okay? I'm like, yeah, I'm in the middle of a base safe. He's like, no bombs, nothing? Said, what are you talking about? He said, we're watching CNN. They're firing missiles at Tel Aviv. I said, they can't be firing missiles at Tel Aviv. We'd hear a siren. He says, well, I'm watching the news. They're firing missiles. You should maybe get into your protected room. Now, there was a big debate because they were afraid of a chemical attack. So they had issued gas masks to the entire population of Israel. You had to walk around with them. Okay? They had these little um, uh, crib like bassinets that were designed to protect the baby against a chemical attack. Now, what's the dilemma? If they're shooting an artillery shell, like what they're shooting now, then you want to go into a bomb shelter. And you're better off in a lower floor, in a protected room. But if they're launching a chemical attack, well, then actually you want to be in a higher floor. And what's more important is not whether the cement walls are thick, but whether they're sealed. So everybody made sealed rooms. And instead of running down to a bomb shelter, which wasn't in our house anyway, we ran into the sealed room. And... You ran in, and so I run into my bedroom, and I wake up the, my, my wife, right? And as I'm doing this, the siren goes off. Thank you, Israel. CNN. Okay, we should turn the sirens on. Whatever. They've gotten a little better, Baruch Hashem. And uh, we go into the seal room. <coughs> you don't know what's happening. They've told you there might be... I mean, they, they gave gas masks out. And there's actually shells falling. So you start to think... And they gave us atropine, and everybody had to learn how to use the atropine. You know, I mean, I knew how to use it in the army against the chemical attack. And I've seen movies, because in the army they train you for this stuff, of what nerve gas does, and you're sitting with your wife and child. This is the first time the people fighting this war were the civilians. It was crazy. Now think about this. You put your gas mask on. It's just like on the plane, right? Put your mask on, then help you. First you put your gas mask, then you help the other. So I'm running into my wife. I've got a gas mask on. She puts her gas mask on. We go out to get the baby, right? My aunt was, uh, I don't know, six, three months old, four months old, Right? And we pick her up, and we put her in this bassinet, and we zip it up, and it seals. Okay? Think about this. You're a baby. And two monsters, because you're wearing gas masks, they don't recognize you. Two monsters take you. Right? She thinks, I mean, you, you would think it's a nightmare, but it's not. This is her life. And you, and, and you put her in, and you put her in this box, you zip it up. Now then, they have these like black gloves, like the kind of things that you do gardening in. You could put your hands in them and you could... So now the big black hands are reaching She's screaming, hysterically. And she's screaming, so my wife doesn't know what to do. My wife's crying. You know, there's going to be a chemical attack. We're all going to die. It took us two more attacks until we figured out the secret to get through this war. You know what the secret was? Bamba. We put Bamba in the thing and she liked the Bamba and everything was fine. But we didn't know that at the beginning. Go for it. 39 missiles fell in the most densely populated region of Israel, there was not one fatality. There was one old man who died because he put his gas mask on and forgot to take the seal off, and so he suffocated. And that's a terrible tragedy. He was an old man. But nobody was killed. There wasn't an injury. It's unbelievable. And you saw the pictures afterwards. You just couldn't believe it. 39 missiles. 
I remember one story. We're listening to the radio, and there was this. They would, you know, you would sit in the room and listen to the radio because Nachman Shai was the voice of Israel. He would, you know, sort of kind of calm the population. And then the radio news would come. They were very careful of censoring. They didn't want the Iraqis to know where it fell, so they wouldn't be able to target. So you didn't know exactly where it was. Somewhere in Tel Aviv, somewhere in Netanya. And I remember one night, I'm listening to this interview about this guy. It was the next night, and he's and they're saying, "So how were you saved? Like what happened?" He said, "Listen, I'm in my building." Right? And I get up, it's the middle of the night, I have to go to the bathroom. And then the siren goes off. Now I got a dilemma. Because he says, really, I should run to the sealed room. But I really got to go to the bathroom. And there's two opposite directions. Now you and I know, if you got to go, you got to go. So he goes to the bathroom. He's sitting in the bathroom. He thinks, okay, it's a siren, what are you going to do? And this tremendous explosion shakes the building and dust and everything. His building was hit by a Scud missile. You know, and, and the, the noise and whatever... And, and masonry falling all around him. And then he opens up his eyes. He's covered in dust. Okay? The entire building, the entire floor, his top floor of his building had been blown up. He's sitting, he goes, I'm sitting on my throne looking at a Tel Aviv. The whole building fell except the bathroom. And this story was repeated again and again and again. And you're a commander in Iraq and you're shooting missiles at them and nobody's dying. You know why? Because the Baruch runs the world. And the Jewish people are not part of the natural order of history. And when that happens, you know Hashem is with us. It's because we're doing the right thing. When it doesn't happen, it's because something's wrong. And that's a little soul searching we all have to do. So, Me'ever is... is is that somehow we are above the natural order. But it doesn't end there. This battle is a much bigger battle than just four or five kings. This battle is a battle of Nimrod. Why does Nimrod, Amraphel, take Lot captive? The Medrash says that Lot looked exactly like Avram. In fact, there's one day in the Medrash, in the Psik Darabati, that says that Nimrod thought he had taken Avram. This was a battle between Avram and Nimrod. And it wasn't a battle for land. Avram didn't need land. It wasn't a battle of it. It was a it, it was a war. It was a culture war. It was exactly the war we're still fighting. It was good against evil. It was morality against immorality. It was pagan idolatry against monotheism. It was who controls this world. Human beings that are evil are Baruch And that same battle we are still fighting, four thousand years later. And he goes to war. Now it gets interesting. Avram, what is Avram's virtue? What is his paradigm trait? Chesed, chesed right? The Pasuk in Micha says, Chesed Lavram. It's in Micha Peregzayim. Right? That is who Avram is. Avram does Chesed. Not only is that who Avram is, that's how Avram brings Hashem into the world. His vehicle for spreading the world of Hashem is Chesed. People come out of the desert and he does this incredible Chesed and they're just in awe of them. And they say, Baruch Alokei Avram. That's what the Gemara says. Blessed is the God of Avram. If a person could reach this level, such menschlichkeit, such an incredible human being, such chesed, this is his nature. He's a kind person. Do you know what it is for a kind person to go to war? There was a movie a few years ago. Somebody convinced me to go see, and it was very interesting. It was about a, uh, uh, a passive resistor who didn't want to go to war, but he became a medic. And he ended up serving this in World War II. It's a true story. It's called um, Hacksaw Ridge or something like that, right? Yeah? It's a true story. Um, 
And this is a person who just, he just couldn't fight. Couldn't do it. Unbelievable. And he didn't kill people. Even when the Japanese were coming, he didn't kill Japanese. He just saved people's lives. For Avram to go to war and fight a battle was against his nature. Now it gets interesting. The Mishnah in Pirkei Avos, in Perak Hay, okay? Mishnah Gimel. Uh, Perak Hay is a fascinating Perak in Pirkei Avos. It, it, it has these number games. Three of this and three of that. Ten of this and ten of that. One of them is right past, the world was created through ten times Hashem said. Uh, there are ten generations from Anadana. So one of them is, Asaran Nisyonot Ninasei Avram Avi. Avram was tested with ten tests. Ve'amad Bekulam. And he passed them all. He succeeded. Now the Mishnah doesn't tell us what the ten tests are. So what do the Mepharshim do? They start discussing what are the ten tests. And you can look this up on your own. It's, it's fascinating. But I'll give you just one example. The Bartanura, who was an Italian commentator, who was actually buried here um, on the other side of uh, the Silwan Valley. One of them was Ur-Kazdim. Ur-Kazdim, the, the furnace. That was one of the tests, right? The Nimrod threw him into the furnace, right? Um, and one of them was Milchemet Amlachim. The Battle of the Five Kings was one of the tests. Now, why is this a Nisayon? Because the definition of a Nisayon is that you do something that's against your nature. Like if you say to me, listen, Choni and uh, Jack made a cholent. I'm going to test you and see if you could eat the cholent. Well, <laughs> it's not a test. But if you tell me, you know, could you be a vegan for a week? Oh, that's against every fiber of my being. That'd be a test, right? If you're an Ish Chesed, going to war is a very difficult, it's not your nature. We're Rachmanim B'nei Rachmanim. We're, we're merciful, that's who we are. We're not capable of doing what they do. So Avram is tested, the nature of a test that goes against your nature. So Avram is even me'ever latzmo. He's on the other side of himself. He becomes an ivory. He's able to put aside his own nature to do what Hashem asks of him. But that's not the ultimate test. What is the ultimate test of, of Avram Avinu? Right? What was the ultimate test? The Akedah. Let's think about this. You see, every test that Avram passes is really chesed at its core. Avram goes to fight a war. Fighting a war is not an act of chesed. But why is he going to fight this war? To save Lot. That's an act of chesed. When Avram has to say goodbye to Yishmael, that's a cruel thing to do. That's very hard for him to do. That's a test. But it's a chesed for Yitzchak, for Sarah, for future generations of Jews. Right? But this, the Akeda, the Akeda makes no sense. The Akeda is the ultimate test. In fact, what does it say? It says, Vayar, he finally sees the place, right? God says, right? Go and find, I'm going to show you where the mountain is. He doesn't know where he's going. Shem says, go, you go. That's a test, okay. What does it say? It says, Vayar etamakom erachok. Sees the place in the distance. Remember this? So the Hasidim have a field day with this person. Who is the Makom? Baruch HaMakom Baruch Hu. Right? Hashem sees, Avram sees Hashem from a distance. He's distant from Akash Baruch Hu because this makes no sense. Hashem is asking him, at least he thinks Hashem is asking him, to kill his son. 
to kill the future. This is a test for two reasons. First of all, it's a test because it's antithetical to everything Avram believes in. He's fighting against idolatrous child sacrifice. He's going around telling the world this is not the way. And now Hashem says, now you be a child sacrificer. So everything he's done, his entire Avodah Hashem is a lie. And there are two issues here. One is, he has to go against every fiber of his being. And the other is, it makes no sense. It, it doesn't make sense. Now, what's the issue about something not making sense? There is a fascinating Pasuk in Tehillim. We're almost done. There's a fascinating Pasuk in Tehillim that says as follows. Okay? It says, um, I will bless Hashem who has always been there for me, giving me advice. Right? The matter says this talking about Avram Avinu. My kidneys caused me travail all night. So Chazal say, what are these kidneys that cause him travail? This is his inner conscience, his moral code. You know, like you feel it in your kidneys, like in your kishkas. Sometimes you just know, nobody had to tell me. You know, I don't know, you catch a terrorist. It happens. And there's a procedure when you catch a terrorist. You blindfold him, you tie his hands up behind him, you put him on the ground, you do whatever you have to do. And that's he's a prisoner. And, and, you know, I mean, you can look this stuff out online. The Israeli soldiers, you give him water if he's thirsty. And you don't manhandle him. And that's a very difficult thing to do because this guy's a killer, he's a terrorist. But that's who we are, right? That, that's the fiber of who we are. If I was given an order to torture someone, that'd be a test for me. Even if he was a Hamasnik who did these terrible things, for me to torture him, I'd be afraid of becoming him. That'd be a test. So the Akedah is difficult for Avram. It goes against every fiber of his being. And it's antithetical to Zavoros Hashem. He's even on the other side of Akash Baruch Now what allows a person to do that? The next Pasuk in Tehillim. The very next Pasuk. Right? Shiviti Hashem Ki Kimi mini balemot. I have Hashem in front of me always. What lets you do that is the belief that this is what Hashem wants. To be an Ivri means that you're on the other side of society, you're on the other side of your own conscience. If, if, I, if, 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 if there's a Sanhedrin and there's a Melech and the Navi comes back, there's Nevuah now, we're back in the times in David Melech and Tchir Samesim and whatever, however you look at it. And they say, you know, you're in the army till you're 60, 20 to 60. That's the person who says, they say, Freeman, I know you're old, but you got to come. Okay. And then they say, listen, we're going to kill all the Amalekites. It's a mitzvah of the Torah. So you're responsible to go over there and kill the, the children Amalekites. There's a nursery school over there. You got to kill them all. That's what the Navi says. Now, intellectually, I can understand that. I can understand that. These Hamas terrorists who did these terrible things, 15 years ago, they were 10-year-olds. And we bent over backwards not to bomb them. And if we'd known what they were going to do, of course we would have killed them. Who wouldn't kill a person that's going to go rape your mother? But we don't know that, but Hashem does. So if Hashem says that, it makes sense to me that you have to do it. Could you do that? Could you kill babies? That would be a Nisayon. It's a Nisayon I hope I never have to face. I'm quite happy not to deal with that. That's a Nisayon. To be an Ivory... It's to say, I'm even on the other side of myself. And I want you to know something. When you come to yeshiva to learn, you become an ivri. 
There's a whole world out there that does not understand this. They don't understand what it is to sit and learn Torah. They don't understand what it is to develop a deep relationship with Hashem. There are people out there that think you're nuts. You'll go back to university, you'll meet them. They think you're nuts. That's what it means to be a Jew. It means to be willing to be an Ivory. There was a, maybe you saw this a few years ago. There was some Palestinian rally turning into a riot. You know, justice for Palestine, from the river to the sea, you'll be free, I don't know, whatever it is, right? Good luck to you, right? And this is in Los Angeles. And there were like hundreds of them. And they're rallying opposite something, I don't know. And there's one kid, I think it was from Yula, but I might be wrong, maybe it was from Shalavit. And he goes out with an Israeli flag. Do you remember this? No? Look this up online, unbelievable. And he goes out, he's a kid with a yarmulke and an Israeli flag. And he goes right up to the rally, and, he, and he's standing holding the flag. And he walks back and forth, and, and they start running after him. There's hundreds of them. And he won't back down. He became like famous overnight. That's the Jewish people. They can burn us, they can kill us, they can bomb us, they can scream at us. You know? That's what it means to be an Ivory. To be an Ivory means that even when the world is against you, you have to be willing to stand up for what you know is right. You know what this mess, you know how this mess started? This mess started because we compromised with evil. That's where it started. Because we compromised with evil. Because we want their oil in the West, so we'll look the other way when they do atrocities. We'll let them do honor killings and we'll let them subjugate women and, and, and whatever else they're doing. We'll look the other way. We want, we want relations with Saudi Arabia. But Saudi Arabia is this, this society that, I mean, they, they're cruel. They torture people. We'll, we'll sit and negotiate with Yasser Arafat because it's just, maybe we can get something done and it's good for politics. He's a butcher. He was a murderer. He killed children. You can't sit and talk to a person like that. Avram says, I'm an Ivory. There is nothing to talk about. And when you see evil in the world, you have to be willing to fight. You have to be willing to go, nobody wants to fight. None of the people who were called up into the reserves were looking forward to this. My son got married a year ago. You know, my, my daughter, you look into your kid's eyes. Her husband is off at war, and she doesn't, I mean, you don't know if you're ever going to see him again. It's terrifying. And her eyes brim with tears. Because who knows what's going to be? And a curse barker runs the world. But sometimes you have to be willing to fight. And we fight in different ways. A lot of people are putting on uniforms, carrying guns, that's how they fight. That's not our role. We fight, we fight with the word of Hashem. I want you to know, no matter how great Israel's army is, if no Jews are learning Torah, it'll never succeed. And if there's no army, and Jews are learning Torah, and they're united, Hashem will take care of us. And, and, and what does it mean that we're above nature? You know, if Hashem runs the world, what's the big deal that there are miracles? Hashem runs the world. Miracles are only natural. And nature, by the way, is miraculous. You understand that? It's only natural Hashem does miracles. Miracles are natural. Nature is a miracle. So what's the difference between miracles and nature? It's only how you look at it. If you could really know that everything is a miracle, then everything would be natural. That's how Rav Dessler in the Mikhtar Meliyahu understands the, the, the Amoraim who have all these miracles happen to them. 
right? Rabbi Hanina, and he gets home in Erev Shabbos, I think it's in Tanis, right? And, and, and his, his daughter is panicking because there's no oil to light the Shabbos candles, to light the licht. And Rabbi Hanina says, what's the big deal? Let he who causes oil to burn, cause vinegar to burn. Now you and I know that vinegar is not combustible. Somebody forgot to tell Rabbi Hanina. If you're the daughter of Rabbi Hanina, he says, that's you light the vinegar, and the vinegar lights. How could that be? It's a miracle. Vinegar doesn't burn. You know why that happens? Because Rabbi Hanina is basically saying, what do you mean it's a miracle that vinegar burns? It's a miracle that oil burns. It's all a miracle. That's what it means to be an Ivri. This Torah that we learn is like an iron dome. And there is a concept from the Chemist Mitzvah in the Torah. I'm not saying that everybody should lay down their arms. Like there is a mitzvah to serve and to do and everybody has to struggle with that on their own. But make no mistake about it. The Torah that we learned, the fact that you're here, that you chose to stay here, that you're not going back to America, that you're going to stay here and learn, understand that is protecting our soldiers, that is protecting Am Yisrael, and it's the reason we're here. This is the point. So Hashem should bless us, Bezrat Hashem, right? What does it say at the end of the Akedah? It says, Atayadati kiirelo kimata. Now I know. What does that mean, now I know? Now now that you've gone against every fiber of your being, being willing to offer up your son, now I understand that what really matters to you is Hashem. Whatever Ritzon Hashem is, that's what I want to do. And I'm not saying it's easy to figure out what Ritzon Hashem is. That's why the Akedah is, 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 is the real Nisayon for Avram. Because it's against his logic, there's no chesed involved in it. You know? It's like being in an ambush. It's like, it's like every fiber of your being is telling you to take cover and stay at the bottom of the hill. And the only thing that gets you up that hill is that you believe that you're in bigger hands. You believe that Hashem runs the world. If Hashem doesn't want you to leave that hill, you won't leave that hill whether you run up the hill or you don't run up the hill. And once you understand that, it doesn't matter. And it's crazy. You get up, there's six of you, and you're jogging up the hill, and there are bullets flying everywhere, and none of them hit anybody. It's unbelievable. That's not true. One guy got hit in the leg, but whatever. I guess he had some words. Do you understand? It's unbelievable. He even sacrifices his perception of Avodah Hashem. So Hashem should bless us that we succeed in, in inculcating this idea, in understanding that we have this opportunity to be bayadayim, to be in much bigger hands. And we're living in a time where it's easy to be anxious, it's easy to be afraid. Understand Hashem runs the world. And if Hashem wants us to be okay, we'll be okay. And the Jewish people will be okay and the state of Israel will be... By the way, there is one promise that Hashem makes that you cannot break. Because it's a Brit. There's no guarantee that any particular Jew will get there, but the Jewish people will never be destroyed. That's what Hashem promised. That's a covenant. And the Hamas Nikim can run up and down and they can scream and yell and shoot and fire and whatever. It's a waste because it can't be. So Hashem should bless us, Bezrat Hashem, that we see soon an end to this nonsense, that, uh, that the boys come home safely, that the injured heal, that the families who are missing their loved ones find them, they come home, and uh, that all our enemies lay down their arms and realize there's good chillin', like it's just silly. Shabbat shalom, everybody.